Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, when um, I don't know, I, like to, I don't like to live my life with regrets. Uh, but you know, I've always been interested in music. Uh, I'm not a musicologist either. Uh, I am a musician to a certain extent, a lazy one. Um, if I could go back and do it all over again, my life, I think that in college I would have majored in music. Um, like musicology kind of thing, and then maybe taking that approach um, while I was in Japan and kind of um, be more actively uh, involved in looking at traditional uh, Shinshu or, or Nishihonganji music. But I didn't do that, so at this point I'm just kind of doing my thing uh, best I can. Um, and so I, um, this is actually really exciting for me because usually I don't get to talk about this kind of stuff, and especially not to a whole bunch of other people. Um, I will point out that my Dharma name is Gyokyo, uh, which I chose myself, and it's too unusual kanji, I guess, for those pronunciations. The Gyo is from Shingyo, which is joyful and trusting, uh, one of the other terms for Shinjin, and it's normally pronounced Gaku or Gaku. So it's Gaku, like to be comfortable, or Anakukoku, the land of peace and bliss, Ongaku, the Gaku there, um, so, but also happiness, uh, joy. Right, and so, I, and then Kyo is bridge, um, because my last name is bridge, so it's Hashi, right? <laughs> the Onyomi, the, the, the Chinese reading is Kyo, so Kyo Kyo is like bridge of bliss, but it also has that, um, uh, I feel like music is also a part of that. Um, now part of what I would like to talk about, you're probably going to think it's really weird. Um, I do already. Okay. <laughs> uh, successful. <laughs> um, I chose the title Non-Representational Buddhist Music. I think a lot of times uh, when we think about Buddhist music, uh, one of the things we think about is gathas. Uh, and I'm not really going to talk about gathas today. I think the thing that makes gathas Buddhist is like the words, right? The, uh, one thing I learned a long time ago is that the word song means that there's words, there's singing, right? And so there's, uh, as opposed to songs, which have words and lyrics, there's also instrumental music. And I'm personally much more interested uh, in instrumental music than uh, songs. I mean, I love songs, you know, but I can never remember words to songs as part of the problem. So um, that's part of kind of what I'm looking at. And so if, what would that be? What would, what could Buddhist music be if it's not what we normally think of with words and songs and having like specific text? but instead beginning to maybe think outside the box a little bit about uh, what Buddhist music might, could mean, some other possibilities than just the gathas. Uh, other, other, I think when we think of Buddhist music, gathaku is another one, the traditional um, oldest extant music form in the world. Right? Um, sutra chanting, I think shomyo certainly has more of what we think of as music these changing pitches and everything. But, um, and then you can even ask, well, what is music? I mean, it seems like an easy question to ask, but um, if we ask what is music, I think it's a very, very difficult uh, question to answer. And one answer might be organized sound, right? Part of music is about sound. And most of the time when we think about music, we think of pop songs or, or gathas or, you know, very kind of uh, common and kind of standard musical forms. But um, you start listening to weird music and like um, 20th century classical music and they begin to even question, I think, even what is music or some of the noise artists that have come out in the past 20 years or so, like Wurzbo is this Japanese guy. It's noise. Is it music? I don't know. You know, rap sounds like noise to a lot of people. 
um, if you weren't brought up with rap or hip-hop, right? But the young people today, it's totally music, right? And so um, I'm asking us maybe to kind of stretch our uh, perception, stretch our assumptions about what music might be, uh, and uh, to begin to ask some questions about maybe some uh, different possibilities. Um, one thing that I think is interesting is in the larger sutra, when it talks about the pure land, and it, music is a big part of that, right? The, those descriptions of the pure land, I've heard them called sensual, and usually sensual we think of as like sexy or something, right? But sensual in the sense of the five senses. So there's food there, right? There's water, there's the right temperature, so there's touch, uh, there's the beautiful jeweled trees, right? There's visual aspect to it. And then there's also when the breeze blows in the pure land, it sets the trees kind of tinkling, and this creates music that makes us think of emptiness, makes us think of the, the, um, the Buddha Dharma Sangha, right? And so they sound, too. So sound is definitely a very, very uh, essential part of the descriptions of the pure land uh, in the pure land sutras. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, I didn't, I just moved, and so all my books are like in boxes. Um, but there's a thing, there's a one little bit, you know, that talks about the five tones. Right? And the five tones of music, or pitches, or whatever we want to call them. Um, these, like, they're the right tones. They're harmonious. Right? They, they are part of this sound, this musical sound that um, makes us think of the Dharma, makes us mindful of the Buddha, mindful of the Dharma. And I don't know how far that goes back. It's definitely Chinese music theory that Gagabu is uh, based upon the Kyusho um, Kapuchibu, like these five notes. Everything and um, I don't know if that goes back to India. You know, I'm, I'm sure it was all you know very fluid and and all these different cultures going together. And but I think that we can see whether it goes all the way back to India or China that there is this kind of cultural assumptions. It's coming out of a certain cultural worldview. And so it's kind of interesting maybe to think about um, would that be the only kind of music you would hear in the Pure Land? You know, um, if like a 17-year-old um, got to like go to the Pure Land now, would hip hop be going? Is it yeah? Hip -hop. <laughs> um, so I don't know. You know, just these kind of different questions. And um, so I guess my big, the basic question, because I am a musician, uh, I played I played piano since I was a little kid. Well, I, I stopped, but then I played guitar um, in junior high school and bass in high school, and um, played in a lot of bands, and usually played other people's music, uh, and then. I went to IBS um, when I was about 25, 26, and then um, after my parents died, I moved back to Boston and I kind of went back to music. Um, my, band, my band was originally from Boston. I got back together with my um, friends from my old band, uh, and it was around that time that I began writing my own music and beginning to write and record my own music. And so it, one of the questions I'd like to ask is, well, what would make an instrumental piece of music Buddhist? Because I've written a lot of music, and so is that music Buddhist? Um, do you just have to be a Buddhist making music? <laughs> right? um, so as a Buddhist, does any music that I make, is it inherently Buddhist or not? I don't know. Maybe in a way. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that more later. Um, can it just have a Buddhist title? Is that enough? Um, so uh, I don't know if you're aware of MySpace, but it's this thing on the internet, right? Your kids or grandkids are probably on it all the time, right? And so there's a, they also have a lot of music on there, something called MySpace Music, and it's, it's a really interesting thing where 
people are, with computers now, you can do so, so much that was not possible 10 or 15 years ago. You had to go into a recording studio, you had to have a lot of money, just a reel of tape was like 50 to 100 dollars, right, for like multi-track recording, um, you're paying the engineer, now you can do it all on your computer at home, right, and so like there's a lot, it's really kind of democratizing in a way where a lot of people are able to make music. So. I found this one um, website by a bass player named Ray Rendow, and uh, he had a couple songs. One was called Bodhi Tree. Oh, like, oh wow, Ooh. I mean, he's from LA, so I thought, maybe he's Sokogaka, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to it, I wish I could, we don't have internet access in here, so I can't play it for you, but it's basically like slap bass. And it was like this really aggressive kind of slap bass playing with drums, and I don't hear anything that makes me think Bodhi Tree. <laughs> but, I mean, so that's the representational aspect, right? Does, does some concept have to be represented in the music? Right, so maybe we could find something there. Bodhi Tree has these roots that spread out wide, right? They spread out instead of going deep into the ground. And so maybe you could see like the interlocking of all these different notes as like the roots of the Bodhi Tree. I don't know, we could probably interpret as much as we want. Um, but that was just a really hearing, um, seeing that this guy had songs, like Bodhi Tree. Um, I forget what another one was. Um, and so <clears throat> I contacted him the other day, and I just sent him an email. And um, it turns out he's not any sectarian affiliation. He just has deep interest in Buddhism at a certain point in his life and began writing songs, um, kind of uh, reflecting that interest. So I thought that was really interesting. I want to kind of keep in touch with this guy, um, because he, uh, it certainly influenced me in a way. Another more representation, representational type would maybe be music that, um, and this is going more representational, represents Buddhist concepts, right? And so uh, one I thought of is like music that somehow represents emptiness, right? Shunya is kind of the, the em inherently empty nature of all things. Would that even be possible? I don't know, but wouldn't that be kind of interesting? What would that music sound like? I mean, that's what the, the, the music of the Pure Land actually transcends our secular, our physical reality. Maybe it goes beyond that. Maybe that's what certain forms of music have aimed towards, right? To, to uh, uh, represent that in a way or, or point us towards that. One example I thought of as a possibility would be, um, if you've ever heard of John Cage, a very famous composer, and he has this song called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. Right? It's in three movements, and it's for a solo piano, and it's like three long rests. Right? So the, the performer goes and sits down and opens up the, the, um, the piano thing and plays the rest. Right? It's not nothing. He has to sit at the piano where the piece is not being performed. It's <laughs> a time duration. So sound is being organized in time with specific durations. Um, it's not music the way we normally think of, but then it's not only the performer. See, this is an issue in music of performer and audience, right? And so it's not only the performer there. Everyone becomes part of the piece, and the sounds of the audiences are shifting uncomfortably, waiting for something to start or whatever, coughing. That becomes part of the music. That becomes part of the unique performance of that, that specific performance of that piece, right? And so in a way, that maybe is a representation of emptiness. It's things as they are. It's us now in this four minutes and 33 seconds. Right? John Cage was very influenced by Eastern philosophy, Taoism, Buddhism, D.T. Suzuki. Um, so he has a lot of those kind of ideas uh, in his music. Um, you know, music that would somehow express interdependence. 
Uh, I, one thing I think is more interesting is maybe music for the three poisons. <laughs> a lot of times we think of Buddhist ideas, we think of the good ones. Emptiness, impermanence, uh, interdependence, right? But a lot of Buddhism is about the yucky stuff, right? And I wonder, uh, maybe you could have more like heavy metal um, version of something to represent the three poisons, kind of minor modes or whatever, right? Um, and so, I'm going to play you one piece that I wrote called, and I called it Circumambulate. And the um, circumambulation is something that's done traditionally in Buddhism since going back to India, walking around um, a Buddha image, or walking around a stupa, right? And so I wrote the song first, and then kind of just slapped the title on. So you can, so we're going to have to listen to the whole thing, but it's only two minutes. It's multimedia.
I think another way, and this getting back to the more representational kind of thing, would be that you can base music on a text without having it necessarily be sung. Right, so um, an example I think is Romeo and Juliet by Tchaikovsky. There's a, um, there's a piece, it's like 20 minutes, and it's based on Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, but it never says anything. But maybe you could find the sections of the text, and there's a part when they're fighting with the, you know, um, I don't really remember Romeo and Juliet that much, but of course very romantic themes in there, right? And so it's based on a text that has a story, that has a narrative, and yet it's, that text is not <coughs> explicitly found in the music. If you just played the music and didn't tell them what it was, they wouldn't be like, ah, Romeo and Juliet. Right? They wouldn't know what it was based on. But then you say, this is Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet. They're like, ah, oh, wow, okay. Mm, wonder what this card is. You know? So I think it would be neat to have um, like a song cycle based on like Shozo Matsu Wasan or something. The, the, the uh, Wasans of the three Dharma, re, Dharma, re, uh, Dharma ages. Uh, because it goes it had, it talks about you know the true dharma, but it's also got the stuff on the the um, mapo, right? The the defiled dharma. That I mean, you could have like a range of, of emotions and, and uh, 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 pieces uh, if we did that. And so so one idea I would like to have is someday to have that actualized by different people. Maybe give um, you can take a wasan and make music out of it, right? And then kind of assemble these and have um, have them. Um, on like one CD or we wouldn't need CDs anymore, we just do it on the internet, right? Um, now, another possible avenue is something that I'm not necessarily totally into, but I'm not against it either, and that's uh, mimicking instruments, the instrumentation from traditionally Buddhist or Japanese uh, music, right? And so, uh, Japanese, as we've said, you know, Buddhist music means a lot of things. Gagaku is big, there's also um, Biwa, right, and like the, um, the wandering uh, blind priests that would play Biwa and recite the Heike Monogatari, or, you know, there's these very rich musical Buddhist tradition uh, in Japan and, and in Asia. And so, uh, another possibility is to uh, represent those sounds differently. And so I found this really, really interesting album. Um, it's by this guy named Toshiro Mayuzumi. And he was a composer from the uh, 20th century in Japan after the war. And the record is called Nirvana Symphony. And this guy's really interesting. Um, you know, I, like I say, I never studied music, but I'm just fascinated by it. And music history is just really interesting. And 20th century is really interesting. And there's so much music that we normally just don't hear because it's unsettling or it's not like the normal four beat um, kind of pop music or whatever, but you know, there's some crazy music out there in the uh, classical world, quote unquote, 20th century classical. So um, Toshiro Maizumi studied with Edgar Varese, uh, who's a um, pretty well-known avant-garde composer who he wrote a song called Ele um, Poem Electronique. It's pure electronic sounds. I wish I had a copy of it, but of course you'd listen to that. Um, and so he worked in concrete music, like, they would do stuff like, um, you know, we have records, right? No, not anymore, but we had records. <laughs> and so they'd get a record-cutting machine and record a sound into it on a loop groove. And so they'd have the sound of like a train, and just play that over and over and start layering different sounds, taking sound and melding it, molding it into something else that's separate from the original uh, sound source, which is happening again now with um, sampling in a way uh, in, in um, 20th century. In, in more popular music. 
So I, took, I copied the liner notes for this album, and he um, says, um, in the course of my work, I became deeply interested in and very fond of the sound produced by the Japanese temple bell, uh, which I consider a typical mixture of tones. Bells have very um, characteristic um, tone um, harmonics and everything. Two points related, this is um, the composer speaking, uh, Mayuzumi. Uh, two points related to the sound of the temple bell as tone material attracted me. First, the sound was of an extremely complex overtone structure in which the number of overtone vibrations was not an integral multiple of the number of fundamental frequency. Okay. Uh, secondly, the component parts of the overtone changed subtly with the passage of time. Uh, Okay, um, and then uh, similarly I was attracted by the voice of Buddhist priests reciting sutras. The sutra recitation, of course, has no melody, but is definitely accompanied with a habitual intonation and rhythm. In addition, a reciting by many priests in a group produces a sort of musical noise through the mixing of the voices of varying pitches. Uh, and so he does the noise, he does the, um, the sutra chanting with a male chorus, European tradition male chorus, of tenors and baritones and everything to, to represent the sound of Buddhist priest chanting, but they're all Japanese. It's so weird. <laughs> Similarly, I tried to achieve a bell effect with an orchestra by translating the partial tone structures of the sound into instrumental performances. Um, so he has the treble woodwinds and bass brass instruments, and they're playing these different different um, frequencies to, to somehow represent uh, the sound of uh, the, the Buddhist temple bell. And he says, now it was not only from the musical interest, but also from the religious interest, as indicated in the title, that I conceived the idea of composing this symphony. The close relation between the toll of the temple bell and uh, Buddhism dates back to ancient times. Wow. So, I mean, he's interested in bells. He's living in Japan post-war. You know, temples often, um, you know, six in the morning or whatever, and uh, the, the times, right? The temple, um, that's part of their responsibility is bring this gigantic bone show, right? And so the sound of the bell, I think, um, in um, early, middle 20th century in Japan was, was uh, kind of all around. In Japan, the sound of the temple bell has always been interpreted as signifying the transiency of all things. Right, the, um, the bell of Gion, I think is part of the Kinkimonogatari, uh, and that's one of the you know, texts that's recited by the, by the Biwa, the Biwa Hoshi. Um, in other words, nirvana, an ideal state of being for the Buddhist, has been symbolized by the toll of the bell. Consequently, my interest in and fondness for the toll of the bell were influenced to a certain extent by such religious sentiments. So I was like, wow, this guy studied with like European classical composers. He studied Europe. I mean, we talked about this movement back and forth between East and West, right? And so there were a lot of uh, Japanese uh, composers post-war who were looking to this avant-garde. Um, 20th century composers from Europe, from Germany and from France, uh, and then coming back to Japan, and he says, this I tried with my oriental music instinct, um, separate from my musical training based on Western tradition. Uh, in other words, I composed this symphony with the idea of creating my own musical nirvana. The symphony, therefore, is not a religious music in the purest sense of that term. So it's kind of interesting, because there could be a distinction between spiritual music and secular music. Right, which is fuzzy sometimes, but here he's, he has this spiritual need that he wants to express, and yet he's still kind of expressing it with this strange hybrid musical language and background that he's achieved by being Japanese and yet studying uh, the European tradition. So why don't we listen to a little bit of this? It's taken off a record. This record belonged to Kusada Sensei, um, and so I, I made an MP3 of it. So I'm not going to play the whole thing.
much more than okay. I don't think you can get away with playing this at church, huh? I called it. 
it rays of sound. Um, this idea of these kind of waves or rays kind of rippling outwards, right? And um, as you know, light is a very important part um, of Amidabuta, right? these, wave, these uh, beams of light or waves of light. Um, and someone, this guy gave an interesting paper at one of the ISPS conferences on synesthesia, where um, different senses get um, shifted so that you can see tastes or hear an image, right? Where the, it gets kind of confused. And so, so I took this idea of um, rays of sound, where like sound, but as a ray, it's more of a sound wave is what we normally think of. Um, so this piece became the soundtrack, or um, the theme song for our podcast. We do a podcast called The Dharma Realm, and that was became the original theme song for that. Um, and then I did a uh, rock band version of it. I wanted to um, do a different version of it. And so the sound that I wanted at the beginning was I used an organ to uh, represent the sound of the show. The tribe represented the sound of the show. So here's that. Kind of what we heard before, right? but obviously very different. Where 
um, if you've ever like seen footage of like Ravi Shankar playing or something, there's someone sitting in back with a big gourd instrument, stringed instrument that looks like a sitar, but it's not. It's a uh, tambura, and they're just going ding, 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 the whole time, playing a drone, playing this one note that the other musicians are are, are um, playing around, and so you get tension. So. Um, you can have harmonic movement can result in tension, but by having the drone, you can have tension by moving further or closer to that drone, and it creates uh, different, uh, a different feeling, I think, than the kind of harmonic uh, music that we're, we're, our ears are so used to hearing. Um, and some people may call it static, but... Um, and so, uh, there's an English version of Juice Again. They used it at the thing, they asked me to record it. The original version has uh, chords, but I recorded it to a drone, and I thought it sounded kind of good. So, we, and I actually used my iPhone. I've got an Indian drone instrument in my iPhone. Um, so. That's me. Normally, the chord would change here. Living your life and yet 
being yourself and yet listening, right? Listening to what's going on, listening to other people, um, trying to, to have a mindfulness of yourself and, and what's going on around you. So there I feel like this kind of uh, uh, consonance uh, between this musical concept of improvisation uh, and Buddhism. Um, again, a lot of times I think we, um, we want music to be pretty or we want it to sound nice, right? We want everyone to be happy singing it. But I don't feel like music always has to be like that. Um, and I'd like eventually for there to be some maybe louder music or, or more dissonant music, right? Things don't have to be harmonious all the time. Um, there's tension and release sometimes, too, when we have, rather than it always being harmonious and happy, it's boring. Um, there's get some dissonance in there, right? Some even ugly sounds. I mean, that's, like, that's kind of the noise music I was talking about earlier as an extreme example, but like heavy metal, right, or rap. A lot of, like, Public Enemy is one of the classic rap groups. A lot of their music was noise. It's just a siren. Like, is that music? Yep. <laughs> um, I'm going to close. The, the last thing I want to talk about is genre. And that uh, we have a lot of these gathas, and the genre seems to be piano and voice. Maybe guitar and voice. And I think that some of these um, could be uh, played in different genres might be interesting. So one that I did with my friend Greg, who uh, you heard before on drums, we, we did the song Nembutsu. But we did it different. Here it is. Another drone.